Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck. On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Stasia Ashna. Stasia is a clinical hypnotherapist and life coach who helps people heal their trauma, attachment wounds, anxiety, codependency, and a lot more. Welcome to the show, Stasia. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. For sure. I'm really excited to have you here. I felt really enlightened after our first conversation, and it's always really nice to have sort of an immediate comfort with somebody, especially around such intimate topics that a lot of us, I think, grapple with getting to a place where we're ready to talk about them. So when you encounter people who are really living that as part of their story, it's so refreshing. Oh, yeah, that actually means so much to me because I talk about this stuff all the time. And it's been really also healing for me to be in a space where I can talk about it and get that sort of feedback that that is that that's comforting. That makes that makes me feel really good. So thank you. I think that's one of the cool things too when you meet people who are also very emotionally aware and intelligent in being able to share space with each other and be able to acknowledge those things. When I was younger, I used to be really insecure about expressing things because when I would, I think people would potentially be deterred by it. And so like that existing insecurity lingered for a while into adulthood where it was like, if I compliment somebody or I say something acknowledging an experience we just had, you know, it can make people really uncomfortable. But as I've gotten further along on my journey, something that my wife and I talked about as like a mantra when we were first friends was, it says more about them than it does about me, you know, I just want to express gratitude and I appreciate when people do the same and also just learning to accept that as well. It's all sort of an interesting evolution that we find ourselves in once you sort of embark on this healing journey. Have you found that in your own experience as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can relate to so much of what you just shared being like the very emotionally aware adolescent and teenager and having that urge and desire to share and connect with people, but being met with yeah, all sorts of defenses. I, I was very attuned and sensitive from a young age. I would be classified, I think, as a hypersensitive person. So I feel things really deeply and I always have my entire life. And I feel naturally very empathic that my entire life, I've also been able to really read the emotions of other people without them saying it. But I think as a teenager and as a child, I didn't also know what it meant when somebody couldn't share or if I was met with something that was more critical or judgmental. At the time, I would internalize that and think that there was something wrong with me. Even into adulthood, I felt like I was too emotional and that there was something wrong with me. And I had people definitely that told me I was too emotional. A hundred percent relate to that. And especially when it's coming from adults and you're younger, it creates this natural withholding, you'd have the emotion and you'd find yourself sort of at the pinnacle of being ready to express it, but then taking a pause. And it's almost like there's 
that sheet of glass there where you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to hold off on that. And so Uh, you're restricting your emotions in a way that it forces you to internalize and then sit with it in a, a way that is not healthy. It's reasonable. Yeah. It's like this polarization, the urge to connect and share, but then the awareness through that actual experience that, yeah, this is not always received. And so naturally, yeah, you build up a wall to protect yourself. And I think that's reasonable. This is why we have boundaries and it's good as an adult, you know, we learn and I work with my clients and lots of people to help them to, to discern what are those healthy boundaries. Cause there are certain relationships where we can't always share and open up and we do have to protect ourselves. So it's all the, it's all the more meaningful and comforting though. when we do find other people where we can let that guard down and really let that urge out that urge. That's that part of us that really seeks that deeper connection and emotional connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you stated that too, because it's something that I feel like growing up, to your point, I was very aware of my desire to connect with people. And I also grew up getting bullied a little bit when I was much younger. It made me hyper aware of the way people responded and then the subsequent expectation I set for myself in approaching conversations with people thereafter, because coming from a place where you experience bullying, even if it's not, let's say, super severe, you're at a young formative age. So it's still traumatic no matter how you slice it. And coming into adulthood with that embedded discomfort of approaching conversations with people that I had have concerns about, Mm -hmm. the likability, feeling accepted, feeling a sense of belonging and realizing in therapy, like having the conversation with my therapist at one point years in that One of the things that I was struggling to open up about was because she's probably in her 30s and she's an attractive woman. And I was like, the thing is, I want to talk to you about this, but I'm also dealing with my insecurity around when I was either not out or I was out and I was trying to date and feeling like, I'm not good enough for somebody who's categorically attractive. And so now I can't have this conversation. And so I was like, it feels weird because you're my therapist. And I don't want to tell you this because I don't really think I'm being weird or crazy because of course- You should the self, always. The self-judgment. I don't want to interrupt you, but I also no, please just want do. to like validate that. You know, I think it's really important and I will have those conversations with my clients about, are there any apprehensions or fears about, let's face it, maybe there's a cultural difference or something else that we just need to just put it out there. Just- give it space. The fact that you brought it to the table, I think is super healthy. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think my therapist felt so as well. And she even said, she's like, I wish you could have said something sooner, but I understand that you weren't there yet to be able to acknowledge it and understand it and get to that point. But feeling a desire to be able to have helped me along that path a little bit sooner, but it it was getting to that place where I can be like, okay, you know, I'm self-aware enough to acknowledge this part of me and this discomfort. And it wasn't this very overt, I'm not saying things because, but when the moment arose and I realized it, I was like, damn it, now I have to say this and then I have to acknowledge it and then we have to have a conversation about it. So you kind of go through this whole like process of really delving into these parts of yourself that you spend a lot of time masking, whether that's intentional or not. And so when you're given the opportunity to actually confront it and then also being willing to express that and connect with other people through your own moments of clarity. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that part of your story and the self-awareness that I am positive came from doing a lot of deep, vulnerable work, like 
really awesome. And thank you so much for sharing. And I can relate to the experience of growing up and being bullied and and other experiences that added to this as well. But I, I developed a hypervigilance around anticipating a negative response from people, particularly certain types of people. I grew up poor, so I categorized people who had more than me, who had money as bad. This is that was a way of protecting myself, of just seeing these people as a threat, as bad people. So it's, it's, but that obviously that's just a part of me. That's a part of me that had that experience. It's valid. It's a valid part of my experience, but really updating and integrating into the present moment to look at it and ask, is that narrative true? And what do I need to do in order to heal that part of me that's still living that story and that trauma? I love the way you just expressed that too, because I think speaking specifically to the narrative that you tell yourself versus really the life that you're living and the experience that's happening in the present moment, because we, I remember, I think I was listening to maybe it was a Brene Brown speech or something, and she had made a comment about having a discussion with her husband and saying something along the lines of what's the narrative you're telling yourself so they could have a productive discussion about what the conflict was that they were potentially going to have, because it was like, that's not what I'm trying to say, but the way that you're holding on to it tells me that there's something else that needs to be tackled here. And I think you're hitting on something that's really important for all of us, which is these parts of ourselves. And yes, they are parts, right? And this gets into the, the internal family systems. And, yes. and yeah, so you had mentioned that when we spoke last and you'd asked if I, if I had heard of it or was familiar with it. And I think I was familiar with it, but not familiar with the name of it. The idea is really that for us to be able to work through ourselves and to understand ourselves more is to address that there are a lot of component parts of who yeah. we are and that those have been developed over the course of really our lifetime and for us to be able to heal and also my understanding is evolve right is That's to right. be able to find ways to integrate those parts especially the like unhealed inner child and create a safe space for ourselves so then we have the ability to express what we need to be able to manage that and work through it. Is that a fairly yeah, accurate right. capture of it? <laughs> Beautifully said. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you have a really great understanding of it. It's an internal family systems, which is a psychological model that was created by a, a psychologist, a wonderful, amazing human being named Dr. Richard Schwartz. And um, we through that model, we look at people as being multidimensional. And as you said, we have all these different parts of us that have developed throughout our lives. Most of them have developed in childhood, adolescence, and those are divided into exiles, which are the deeply wounded parts of us, the parts of us that hold feelings of like shame and worthlessness, guilt, things like that. Interesting and that then, they're called exiles. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the parts of us that we, we exile not because we want to, but because we have to, because this woundedness happens. We don't usually have, we're not provided often the tools of the environment to be able to process that in the, like in that time. Yeah. So then we develop defense mechanisms, which we call protectors to then they're like watching or guarding those exiles. And those are divided into either managers. These are the parts of us that kind of just manage and are sometimes overly manage our lives 
They protect the exiles. They create safety. And then also firefighters. And these are the parts that kind of rush in. And when the exile, when the wound sort of floods the system, then the firefighter will quickly put it out through things like distraction, disassociation, even addictions, things like that. Those would be classified as firefighter parts. So all of these parts develop in the system. And it's just a very natural response that all of us experience. But then we also have, this is the central part of the system, is our self-energy. And this is this conscious core of us. And it holds qualities like courage and compassion and curiosity. And the point of IFS, the goal of IFS rather, is to become self-led. And that is where you're able to to be in this self-energy and to witness these parts of yourself, to really witness them, to start to understand them and to start to integrate them into self. And through that, they transform, they regain the essential qualities. In the, what, that, what I mean by that is because we have to develop things like hypervigilance and all these sort of defenses, we wind up losing touch with a lot of our just natural essential qualities like playfulness, joy, innocence, things like that, because we had to all of a sudden become so defensive. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense for many reasons. I The hypervigilance speaks to me specifically because I think about I'd gone through a lot of really intensely traumatic moments in the last relationship that I was in. And I remember feeling extremely anxious and contained within myself with that anxiety and having those feelings and having discussions with my therapist around needing to integrate with these other parts of myself and really be able to understand why I'm holding on to certain things. Now, granted, when you're immediately processing trauma, the expectation I assume would be that like, you're going to need to take time with it. And you're not going to just, okay, I have the mechanisms. I know how to do this and no worries. We're good. It was mm -hmm. the evolution throughout though. And I think being able to really have a different lens through which to look at the circumstance was such a significant component in helping me move forward because it, it, it encouraged me to consider the impact of the circumstance on myself and how that affected me at large and not focusing as much on the trauma of the event itself, um, which is a little weird, honestly. It's like we, I think when things happen, especially quote to us, that it's easy to sit in that like shame and that or disgust or pain of what has happened. And it can feel like fairly weighted in terms of trying to pull away from it. I felt a little bit of somebody pulling the back of your shirt and being like, no, come back to that. Like you're feeling this, like this is uncomfortable. Sit in that discomfort. And it's like, yes, to some degree, you should do that. You should give yourself space to feel it. But it's also like you don't want to live in this state of discomfort or hypervigilance. <laughs> and such a challenge for me was getting through that hypervigilance state where I could feel safe in my body again. Yes, I totally get that. I worked with a client about a year ago, we started working together and she had done a lot of inner child work. But one thing 
before we started working together and the inner child work she had done prior was she hadn't properly updated that inner child. So she was working with the inner child, but but what she didn't realize is that inner child was actually still living. She was like visiting the inner child, but she didn't realize the inner child was literally didn't realize how old she was today and thought she was still in that experience and therefore was still acting out and trying to get attention and living and and that was, she was reliving that in her body and her emotions. It would just overwhelm her. So in IFS, and I do this in age regression hypnotherapy too, is we'll actually bring the child part or the exiled part into the present. And through that, it's in, when it's integrated in the present, then a lot of the, those very traumatic feelings start to naturally start to calm down because they start to see. It's, it's almost like you imagine the inner child, you're with the inner child, and it's looking around and it's, oh my gosh, like this is what life is like today. I don't, I'm not in that experience anymore. And that is often like the kind of, I'll ask my clients, how is your child, how is that child self experiencing it? And the child's just, I can't believe it. And I can't believe because it's, it, they didn't even realize it until they did that, until we did that process that, oh my gosh, my inner child was still living in the past. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I find it so fascinating. And I would love for you to speak a little bit more on that type of um, interaction, both with clients, mm -hmm. but also I'm curious before we dive into the practice itself, you'd mentioned your own experiences growing up, mm -hmm. how that has also shaped your own healing journey. So are the things that you practice in your profession with your clients, things that you've found useful for yourself? And how did you come across areas that you wanted to explore further? Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Just as so many people who find themselves working in, you know, in this sort of field or yeah, in a field where they're helping people to process trauma, most people I meet who do that work, it's inspired by their own sort of experience and transformation. So I started therapy at a young age, I'm 36. And I started seeing therapists when I was a teenager and started into talk therapy at a young age and had a really great therapist in my early twenties. But again, I was doing talk therapy mm -hmm. and I had a heavy background of trauma. And as a result of my trauma, I became I had developed things like I had very extreme panic attacks and anxiety, my panic attacks that would lead to, into fainting spells and just dealing with very severe depression and suicide ideation and these sorts of things. So I was looking for a lot of support and the talk therapy was very useful. Again, I had a great therapist who also introduced me to things like the book Codependency No More because at the time trauma was really playing out in my relationships. Mm -hmm. I was playing hero savior, that sort of role. And as an empath, this doesn't surprise me. We <laughs> find ourselves in that position a little bit, don't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there's a transformation there from hero savior into coach, right? That's the natural, that's a healthy evolution to go from saving and trying to fix people inappropriately to actually owning that I do have wisdom and I can help people, but in an appropriate way with good, healthy structure and boundaries. Yeah, I love that. Um, 
I also found hypnosis through my meditation teacher I met when I was 21 and he was an engineer, but also a counselor and, and a master hypnotist and a meditation teacher. So I learned my meditation practice from him and he taught me that hypnosis is something that can be used very therapeutically to empower people to actually sort of wake up out of the spell of hypnosis that you're in to live more present and integrated in the present. I was like, I did not realize hypnosis could be used for this purpose. And now I want to know everything about it. So I started studying and learning about hypnosis. Later on, I found internal family systems and internal family systems was like the, it was another just mind blowing modality that I found a therapist who I was trying to really process the trauma, this complex trauma that was just playing out in my work, in my relationships, in every area of my life, honestly, feeling like here I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm really trying to make progress. Things are things have improved, but there's still there's still something that's missing. And I felt like IFS was the that was the missing link for me. Cause my first session with this therapist that I found, she introduced me to it and it just immediately clicked. I have two different therapists actually, and they both do IFS and mm -hmm. sessions for me. I'm still doing a lot of updating, a lot of witnessing and meeting exiled parts of me. It's become a part of my daily life though. I sort of think and experience life in IFS way. And I think that's a really healthy thing for anybody who is doing IFS is to actually get involved in it to the extent that you start to bring your parts into your life. So, you know, what that might look for me is, is sometimes I'll just be maybe sitting, even in, even doing an experience, having an experience like this, where I'm doing something that as a child, I probably wouldn't have imagined I'd be doing. I can imagine that part of me, like the parts of me that I'm working with lately coming into the room and just witnessing and seeing this. And that's a form of updating, of introducing them to what life is like today and showing them like, yeah, this is how good life is now. These are the kind of opportunities that we've created. And that that's extremely healing. I'm not healed. I'm still in this process. I don't know what that means to be like fully healed, but so much has changed and it's just something that I'm, I'm still very dedicated to. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of that. It's important to acknowledge even just in this moment for myself, stepping into the present from that external perspective, because the last couple of days that I've been recording, I've had these really amazing conversations with just beautiful human beings. And I'm feeling really excited and this sense of purpose and passion. But I've gotten off the calls that I've had. And even though I'm elated, and I feel a ton of gratitude, and I've received positive feedback this part of me is dealing with mm -hmm. this intense physical anxiety. And I said to my wife last night, I was like, I don't know what this is. But I think that this has to be related to my younger self feeling inadequate, feeling insecure. I would say worrying that people like me, but I think it was less about being liked and more about being accepted and feeling a sense of belonging. And it's being positively reinforced. Like I'm not worried that the people that I'm speaking with aren't being authentic with me. They're good human beings who are reflecting back to me positive things. But this something in my body is like, oh God, the discomfort. Makes you know, sense. like staying off the, yeah. the line with someone and feeling almost overstimulated and incapable of allowing my adult self to mm -hmm. relish that while my child self is 
stewing in this insecurity that existed for so long that it's like unlearn that find a way to manage that or quell that because it's not that feeling is not associated with what's happening and so it's hard to kind of navigate that when you are just becoming aware of it in a moment because mm -hmm. sometimes those are new feelings and you're like oh i don't understand it and then you're like mm -hmm. okay now we've got to go a layer deeper and figure out what that means um mm -hmm. so it's just interesting that this is the conversation that we're having now because it's <laughs> yeah it's literally like a real-time sense mm -hmm. of awareness around around that healing journey and that sense of not feeling safe in my body yeah that sounds based on what you've shared i really appreciate you sharing all that and it makes sense based on what you've experienced in your life i can totally relate to that i can really really relate to that and what i've experienced that's been super helpful for me is when those feelings come up rather than an urgency to fix or to change or to update is to validate to recognize just how real that is for that part of me that totally and to let it feel that to say it's okay to feel that it's okay to feel inadequate Sometimes when I'm doing parts work by myself, I you know, kind of just imagine myself maybe invite the part to sit in my lap and just let it tell its story. Yeah. You know, again, not an urgency or a rush to fix and change and say, no, that's not happening anymore, but yeah, to yeah. actually hear the story. Because often for me growing up, I didn't get that listening ear. And that's part of why sometimes my parts will come up and they'll be acting out or trying to get attention. They're not going away. <laughs> they're, right, they're, yeah. It's because they're like, hey, you still didn't hear me listen, I'm trying to get your attention again. And then that's always my cue, like, crap, okay, I gotta, yeah. I gotta spend, I gotta spend some time with this part because I was on the self-help bandwagon, like everything. Give me a course, give me the next book, whatever I can, I'm going to fix myself. And that was the goal. <laughs> and I realized, I remember something really clicked in my late 20s where I realized, oh my gosh, like, I have been trying to fix myself for so dang long. What if I just try to love myself and I stop trying to fix? Because I realized like it was so well intended in me that I was I was trying to do all this self-improvement to heal and fix myself. But that also I think that for me, for parts of my system, that was really that didn't it, it was registering in a totally different way because there were parts of me that just wanted to be loved and accepted that didn't want to feel like I just have to be fixed because that what that said the other message to that was there's something wrong with you hundred was like I was like constantly feeding myself that message and I didn't even realize that there's something wrong with you you need to change you need to be fixed and what if that's not the truth what if you're just you know just okay just right now you know yeah. everything you feel you're, to your point, what is the narrative that we're telling ourselves in saying that? And I think for me, very similarly, I am inherently a fixer. I want to get things right. And when I went into yep. therapy, I went in with the mindset of I'm doing this. I'm here to be productive. And so four years later, I agree with you. What does it mean to be healed? I don't know. I actually just had this conversation with somebody else mm -hmm. a, a little while ago that it's a journey and it's a path. And I don't know that there is really sort of an end that you're looking for. I think about just evolution at large. And I think of this as like emotional Darwinism, adapt or die, because you have to acknowledge the things that need to change or the things that you want to change. And to your point about the validation and maybe I don't need to be fixed, that's not going to be the most productive thing for someone at a specific point in time. And I, I feel like the comment you made about really, what if I loved myself instead of trying to fix myself really resonates with me so much because it was 
two years ago, maybe, that I had this moment in therapy where I was finally able to say, oh, I actually like myself. And I felt really uncomfortable saying it. But it also forced me to acknowledge that there was this very, very subdued part of me that was self-loathing in mm -hmm. such a way that I didn't even really understand it because mm -hmm. the insecurity was a feeling of, oh, people won't like me or accept me. But in reality, it was this part of myself, to your point, feeling like I'm not good enough. And if I can just be good enough and if I can do the right things to make myself good enough, whatever that means, then the subsequent events will follow and I'll be in good shape. And it's maybe I need to be able to look in the mirror and feel like who I am as I am is not only enough, but it's somebody that I respect, somebody that I value mm -hmm. and that I trust. And you and I had spoken when we initially chatted about the repercussions of being subject to narcissistic abuse and that losing yeah. that sense of self, really having to carve out the time and give yourself the energy and effort to establish who it is that you are and the things about yourself that are core to who you are, your human values, the things that are the non-negotiables for you. And I think for me, I got to a place where it was like, I'm a person of integrity. I do my best to be kind. And there are a lot of things that I do feel positively about. And if you start to look at it sort of in those pieces of ourselves that we can acknowledge maybe independently, they seem small on their own. But when you start to collect them and be like, these are things that I really like about myself. And you can build your case for yourself and be like, oh, maybe I do actually love myself. And I remember getting to this moment and being like, I don't feel stupid saying it anymore. Like it's legitimate. And I think it's important for us to get to a place where we can not only acknowledge that, yes, there's room for improvement, but there is also space to give ourselves grace and give ourselves praise for the things that we do have that we admire about ourselves and that other people maybe admire about us and share with us and to be able to sit with a compliment. I love that. I think that's a beautiful, you have a beautiful story and experience the yeah, reintegrating with who you really are, especially people who go through narcissistic abuse. It's It can have such a, an effect on identity. I think that what you've described, it's like if healing has, that's like like a beautiful image for what healing can look like as well. I love you sharing that. And it's making me think about how many times I've gotten to this place with my clients where day one, it's like all these negative self-impressions and then all of a sudden, or self-identifications, when that transforms to, I start to hear them say, things about, that they appreciate about themselves or they recognize about themselves. Like, well, I really appreciate how far I've come in my life. I'm really proud of myself. That stuff just brings tears to my eyes to witness people come into that place, that relationship with themselves. They actually appreciate how far they've come, how hard they work, you know, these things about themselves that that are wonderful. So it's, it's wonderful to hear you have that experience as well. I really appreciate you saying that. It's super touching and I think it's reaffirming of the importance of it because there's a lot in life that we don't have control over. We 
often find ourselves living in a bit of delusion about how much control we actually have until something sort of blows up and then you're like, shit, turns out I don't have control over anything, do I? <laughs> and so the only thing you can really do is, is figure out how to respond. And as humans who are inherently flawed, we don't always do that right. So I do think that we have an inherent responsibility to ourselves and to the people that we care about and honestly humanity to do the work and to really get to a place where we can acknowledge yes. it. I am absolutely right there with you. Yeah, I have parts of me that are like, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that perspective from you. I feel like it, yeah, I feel like it's a very kind thing to do for our, not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters on this planet and for our families, for our loved ones, for everyone to to go on that journey and to become healed. That's where it's something that might be a very personal journey that you have with yourself. But I believe that when we heal, it really does ripple out to the collective and it has a really positive impact. Totally. And I think that perspective that you're offering, Stasia, is also an incredibly important thing to acknowledge from a societal perspective because we are at a point in time where I think it is very easy for people to dismiss the importance of that type of connection and that broader spectrum of humanity and how we treat each other because it is very easy to feel removed from other places and people in the world when they're not directly in your life or the things that you're doing, you can't see an impact on other people. But when you think about that, on the flip side, I'm somebody who like when I can see the impact, I'm just so blown away by it. And I have such an immense amount of gratitude for the people who put themselves out there, the people who do the work, the people who help other people do the work like yourself. And mm -hmm to have gone on your own journey to get to a place where you can also help other people is such a beautiful thing with your ability to navigate your own healing journey and then bring that to other people in your profession. Do you find yourself in those moments with your clients as well, rethinking or re-experiencing things that you went through on your own journey and maybe looking back on it and acknowledging for yourself like how far you've come as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I am constantly seeing myself mirrored in, in the people that I work with and in, in people I meet and, and, and recognizing, appreciating to see, you know, I, I, sometimes I see the things that I still need to work on too. I'm like, oh, you know, that's something I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. Oh. I mean, that's the other thing, right? There's an aspect of humanity to it. When, it. when we speak to people who are in mental health professions, it's easy to forget that on the other side of the conversation and the professionalism and the ethics, ideally, you mm -hmm. have somebody who is also human and has experienced sure. life and is also potentially going through things in their own moment as well. Always learning and growing and the challenges don't ever stop. There's always stuff that's that I'm working on, but I definitely have taken many opportunities to appreciate and recognize my journey. And that wasn't always an easy thing for me to do. You could probably relate to this. Giving myself that set of appreciation was really hard for a long time because I had such a negative impression of myself and it took me a while. I you didn't go full-time with this business until two years ago. I had it as like a side gig, even though I had 10 clients. Usually I worked in the corporate world because while I I knew that I was that that my work had a lot of value and that I could help people, 
I think I was really afraid still. Parts of me were afraid to really embrace that I could that I could do this, not just as a side gig, that this is like what I really want to do and maybe what I'm meant to be doing. So that was a big, that was a big step for me to really own it. And it's, it's honestly, I think it's made me a better practitioner by owning it. I can hold more self energy. I don't, I don't live in a place of doubt. I really can just stand and feel like, okay, this is, I can just bring my wisdom and my self energy to my clients rather than have those sorts of fears and doubts running the show. That's really incredible. I think there's a lot of relatability to what you just said about having that faith in yourself through Mm -hmm. the work that you've done to be able to stand in confidence in the decision that you have made to prioritize this as your profession, which is really, I think, an important thing for people to consider because it's very easy to fall into the pattern of this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the thing that's safe. It's comfortable. This is what I've done. And just even doing this podcast and having the opportunity finally to not necessarily commit to it without any of the safety net of of, um, some contract work, at least on the side right now, but having the ability to say to myself, as you did, this is something I care about. I want to commit to this. I want to dedicate time and energy. And I do feel like this is very much part of my purpose Mm -hmm. and to be able to connect with people and offer a place for people like yourself and other guests to share their stories and impart that wisdom in scenarios where otherwise people might not have this type of conversation is just really powerful. And it feels really validating in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And it almost just forcibly negates some of those intense fears or insecurities that just existed for so long. And it's not to say I don't still have some sense of nerves sometimes or anxiety, as I said about it, but I've I've heard people do interviews who are wildly successful individuals. Adele saying that she still gets super nervous before she goes on stage and you're like, but you're Adele, you know? And it's <laughs> like, but but you're a human, you know? There's a real like sense of, it doesn't matter how good you are at something. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. It's almost like the great equalizer in having that, you know, it can always feel a little uncomfortable and that's okay. And I think it matters what you do with that discomfort because sometimes you've got to sit in it. And I hate that part. I really hate that part when my therapist is like, no, go back to that. I'm like, I really thought we were going to just sidestep that really. Um, (laughs) But that makes her great at what she does. At the same time, there's the type of discomfort where we just, we want to push it down because we believe that that discomfort that we've become so familiar with is safer than trying to heal because Mm. trying to heal comes with an ambiguity and that lack of knowing what is on the other side of it. Whereas if you just sit in the suffering, you already know what that is. And I watched somebody really devolve in my last relationship because she was unwilling and possibly unable, you know, she was battling with addiction and, and being in denial of that, but it's, really important for people to acknowledge that discomfort is part of growth, no matter how you slice it. And it's a matter of, do you want to be uncomfortable for a finite period of time while you're addressing it or in perpetuity? And I I sort of approach every aspect of my life like that now, because I think when a lot of things blew up at once, I just got to this place where I was like, why am I not prioritizing what I need or how I feel or 
really just what I want out of this life. And I think we compromise a lot to try to keep ourselves in a state of what we think is comfort, but is really just familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. We can't help but do that. Even if what is familiar is totally dysfunctional and unhealthy, it's still familiar and therefore safe, which is weird to realize, wow, dysfunction or being with an addict. I grew up with an alcoholic father. So, you know, up until age 26, my relationships were, I was like primarily attracted to addicts. That is weird that my system would register that as safe, but Mm -hmm. it was familiar. I think um, it may have been when we were last talking, where we were talking about the reptilian brain and the, the sort of physiological experience of having, you know, that familiarity and that when we are in fight or flight, what you're seeking in familiarity is that sense of safety, but safety is relative to the actual experience. And then also the emotions from that experience. If we can't get it past that initial, you know, response, then like, we don't have the ability to assess why am Mm -hmm. I doing this? We're just sort Mm -hmm. of in it and we're living it and you are in literal Mm -hmm. survival mode. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where what I think it does for me, because I can go deep down the psychological rabbit holes, is have this moment of really considering the fact that we as human beings are also still animals and being like, couldn't we evolve past this? (laughs) As a species, just come on, like leapfrog that somehow because it's, and maybe that's part of what this is, right? Like this healing journey is is trying to get to a place where over time, ideally, if people are still here and the planet is still here, then hopefully future generations can be like, yes, we're emotionally aware enough to understand that that's not Mm -hmm. what this means. And then we can psychologically move through these situations and these circumstances with a little bit more ease, perhaps. Yeah, totally. I hope so. We're making progress. You know, there's people are actually having more open conversations about mental health and their emotions, their feelings. There's a lot of wonderful people like Gabor Mate and Richard Schwartz and Brene Brown, these brilliant humans that are getting great platforms and talking. And there's just a lot of, there's so much access now too, that people can listen to podcasts. They can get on YouTube and and look at videos. There's a lot of evolution, I think. There's a ways to go. But I think that what I have also realized is everybody wants to be healed, healthy, and whole. Everybody wants to evolve. Nobody wants to live in pain and suffering. Like even the most destructive parts of us, the part that has the addictive behavior as the escape or as the the way to disassociate, that part even wants to be healed. It doesn't want to continue to do that. And that's a wonderful thing that you can see when you do IFS is that when you meet these parts of you, they're usually just craving and like really just like crying out for crying out to be rescued to be healed to be rescued from whatever situation they're still living for sure it raises a question for me in terms of so we're we've been talking a lot about our personal association and responsibility to our healing journeys as individuals but something that we had spoken about before was also the extreme value in connecting with people. Yeah. And I can't remember if I'd mentioned it to you or not, but I had listened to the audiobook What Happened to You, and it was Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Have you listened to it or read it? I haven't. I highly recommend it. What I really loved about this book was the whole point of it being called What Happened to You is to get away from this idea that something is wrong with you. 
Mm. Um, instead of asking what's wrong with them, what's mm. wrong with you, what's wrong with me, we have to fix something. It's what happened that made you feel this way. Mm. Then identifying and sort of parsing that out so you can establish the root and doing all of this work that we're then talking about. And at the end of the book and throughout the book, because just the data is being poured in various places, but they say at the very end of it that the culmination of all this research is validating the fact that the most powerful thing that can be done to help heal trauma is having supportive human connections. And I was just like, mm -hmm. this doesn't surprise me, but it's really mm -hmm. great to hear it backed by science. Because Absolutely. Exactly. Of course we need each other, you know? This it's, is it's proven. Yeah. And I wouldn't I would say also I would use the word safe, like safe and supportive, you know. Yes, specifically I love that. yeah, specifically like safe supportive relationships, safe supportive connection. Yeah. Totally. How have you seen your perception of community and connection shift over mm. the course of your lifetime and your healing journey? I mean, it's shifted dramatically. It's still something that I have to work on because I became very introverted at a young age. One of my coping mechanisms was to develop a imaginary world that I lived in as a child, which gave made me develop a very strong, vivid imagination. And I think it was a pretty good coping mechanism, <laughs> kept me safe. But I grew up really being just self-isolating. I always felt different and I evolved a little differently. I had a lot of intense traumas. So I had this emotional awareness that I just, it made it tough for me to relate to people. But then I also, on the flip side of that part of it was I just, I think I as a result of my experiences of not having safety from my primary caretakers within my family system, I developed this belief that people were not safe. And so I would isolate. And that was one of the ways that I kept myself safe is mm -hmm. to reduce the variables by just being alone. And so that followed me through adolescence into adulthood, having very few friends, having no community at times and feeling like that was pretty easy to do. <laughs> like yeah. on the surface level, it was easy, but deep down it wasn't. That was like, that was something that I realized through my own healing journey is that I have parts of me that really crave that resonance and that community really deeply crave it, that want to be, that want to be validated and want to be heard want to see other people, witness other people in their authenticity. So I started to find healthy communities. And in Chicago, where I live, I became a community facilitator. So for years since I've lived in Chicago, I've created these circles. I call them sister circles. And they're for people who identify as women to come and be together. And I guide them through different meditations. There's a topic. And every time we meet and we'll have discussion and everybody gets opportunities to share and connect and focus a lot on safety. I, for many years, was in the support group world. So I attended tons of support group meetings. So the way that I host host these sorts of groups, I do them virtually as well. I host them in a way that's very influenced by the support group system of like really using safety, minimizing things like crosstalk, which is fixing and like advice giving, really want to create space for people to witness to share and to and to feel safe to share so that it, in in this situation it can be different than maybe in other social groups or work or other situations where they're not able to do that so i'm very passionate about that and then online before before covid i did a lot of this work 
out in the world. And then obviously things had to move virtual. Right. And I didn't really know how to relate online the same way. It was like, I didn't like social media. I didn't know how to connect. How do you break uh, down the barrier? I think part of the connection with people, especially in a situation like that, is sort of energetic in a way, like being able to get a sense of who somebody is just by feeling them in your vicinity. Absolutely. You can't replicate that, that certain things virtually or digitally. However, I found other ways to create deeper connection, and that was through writing and sharing stories. I realized that I actually really love to write. And I was always a journaler and I like to write and I always liked to write growing up, but I didn't really do a lot of memoir writing. And I, mm -hmm. I started doing that more and more and sharing oh, cool. it. And then I started getting this just very positive feedback and this resonance from people also reaching out to me and, and sharing. And it's like, wow, this is, there's something to this. This is really resonating. This is connecting. It's also, it's validating. It's just about we, to ask that. <laughs> yeah. It's like when we read, when a person writes or speaks from their authentic truth, it's somehow it like, it feels like it, it gives us permission to do that as well. It's like, oh, you know, I feel seen, I feel heard. I feel this resonance and this connection with this person. It could be a stranger, somebody you've never met before. I think we experience that all the time when we read books and you're like, wow, Definitely. this person gets, you almost feel like they get you. Yeah. And I started to experience that. That's so cool. I love that that was part of your journey too, because I think that's where a lot of us can feel really apprehensive about creating those new connections, especially as adults, it's a much different social dynamic, right? When we're growing up, you're in school, you're doing extracurricular activities, you're sort of in these forced social situations. So whether or not those end up being really sincere long-term relationships or not, you end up as an adult, maybe you make work friends, but they're just work friends, or you meet a few people and they actually fit your vibe and you get a sense of it. And you, to your point, feel seen, you feel heard. And I can recall those moments with the people that I'm friends with now that I met in person or online. And I think about like my first couple of friends I made as an adult out of college and these random moments and feeling like, oh my God, just there are people out there that I do want to be friends with. That's so great to know. There's people who accept me and acknowledge me for who I am, but then also show up in the world in a way to your point that's authentic and and really driven by the desire to show up fully and be able to contribute something mm -hmm. and not in a way that is, there's like the professional contribution that in general we, we make to make society function, but there's also, I think, the emotional contribution and the willingness and the desire to evolve even in those relationships as we're growing up and becoming more ourselves. And I think about mm -hmm. the friends that I'm still the closest with, and it's the people who have been continuously doing the work mm -hmm. and reflecting yeah. on those moments of their lives and who they are and saying, okay, this is something I have to deal with or this still bothers me, but I'm mm -hmm. not afraid to live my truth or show up every day because of that. And we have highs and lows. We're not good vibes only, but we definitely, we <laughs> see those commonalities in people and it gives you, like you said, that permission. In addition to that, it also, it inspires me a lot to show up more authentically myself. And these conversations, such as the one that we're having right now, it's funny because with a podcast in particular, I'm meeting people and I'm typically having introductory calls, but when you get down to sort of the nitty gritty and the who we are for the sake of just really understanding, you know, not just the talking points that people wanna say to promote things that they're working on, but sharing those parts of our stories that we 
need to and want to share, I feel like I've been extremely lucky and I hate to use the term blessed because I feel like it is extremely overutilized, but I do feel very, very blessed that I have been given the opportunity through this podcast to really initiate and maintain connections with people who feel right to me and I and mm. not as in right or wrong but feel like a good fit like a like an energetic and just philosophical alignment that really maps to where I am right now in my life and it sounds like you've had some of those similar experiences yeah absolutely I feel very fortunate I I have learned to really kind of appreciate and hold on to those relationships I'm starting a group coaching program that is all about improving your relationships. And we talk about relationship where, of course, like we're not looking at the surface of relationships. We're talking about like our real deep relationship with ourself and the extension of how that manifests in all these different areas of our life. And I have a couple other coaches who are going to be working with me on this okay. program who are going to be coaching. And I just had this conversation with Anna, who is a sex, love, and pleasure coach, who is a very dear friend of mine and she is going to be one of the coaches in this container and I have this resonance with her that I could just talk to her forever I feel so aligned like she has such beautiful integrity she is yeah she's just this person who we just have the same sorts of values she's very she's able to be very present with herself She's very committed to her journey, like deeply committed, like doing the work. You're every like, day. we are in it and we are <laughs> on this ride. So yes. get on board. <laughs> so like having her in this program coaching with me is it's very exciting to be able to have another person. There's it's still frankly, this program is still it's still coming together. But there's all this good energy going into it. And she's one person that I'm just so grateful for. And I do feel very blessed. And I, I as you do, to have relationships with people who I can hold this intimacy with them and get that that deep need that I have for connection. And I appreciate you holding this conversation has been beautiful because it's been really intimate, I feel. Definitely. I, it's so easy to speak yeah. with you, which I think is Aww. just, it's magical in its own way, right? Valuable. Um, something to be like truly appreciated. A hundred percent. It's, yeah, the conversations where you just feel like, wow, they just, that person gets it. That feeling when you're like, you feel like they heard you, mm -hmm. not just because they were, it's because they were listening. And I don't just mean like their ears were open. It's that they felt it. The perfect way to describe it. It is an intimate connection that you're creating and there's like a vibration to it. Absolutely. Yeah. You could see it, you could hear it and you're like, they really felt that. And that is so meaningful. And I think everybody wants that. And if you're on the path and you're doing the work, and for me, it took me a while to recognize that I, I did really want that because I had so many defenses up. So it's been a really beautiful journey to all of a sudden see my own vulnerabilities and to let them be seen by other people who are safe, who I can share that with. And now I'm sharing it to your audience, which is also feels safe and good and right. And I hope that other people feel inspired to, to allow themselves that opportunity as well, because it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Stasia, you've been just such a gift. <laughs> I think that this is one of those conversations that really 
integrates itself into my life in a larger way. And that's, I think, something that's so powerful about the ability to share conversations with people and ask them questions that both draw from experiences and give insight into what your life has been and where you are now, but it also shines a light on the importance of being willing to be vulnerable and having the awareness and desire to give that to other people in whatever format we can. I'm just so incredibly grateful for your time, for your energy, for sure, and Thank your you. wisdom, because it is so, so insightful when mm -hmm. I've spoken with you. And I, for anybody who has enjoyed our conversation today and you want to learn more, you can visit Stasia's website at stasiaashna.com. Yep. <laughs> and you can also follow her on Instagram at stasia.ashna. Are you on any other platforms that I need to mention? Those are the main ones. And if you go to my website, there's also a free download for a hypnosis recording that I created for anybody who would like that. We didn't talk a lot about hypnosis, but if you go on my website, I have a whole page all about my work with that if you're interested. And I just appreciate you so much, Nikki. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. And hey, there's always room for another conversation. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side.